Second John, and we'll begin in verse number seven. Second John in verse number seven, and we'll read down through the end of the book here, the end of the chapter. The Bible says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things that we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not the doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. He that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sisters greet thee. Amen. Amen. Well, only two messages out of the book of Second John, uh, and the title of this one is Christians Who Make Much of Christ. Christians Who Make Much of Christ. Jesus Christ is to be the hero of every Christian and the hero of every church. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about churches that do that and churches that don't do that. I mean, I'm going to even name some names tonight of some very popular preachers around this country who uh, diminish or deny Christ outright. Some, some folks, even that attend this church, have allowed those preachers to have influence in their lives. And uh, boy, we have to be careful. Brother Tom, if you'd give me my lapel mic, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless the service this evening. Lord, we pray uh, that uh, you'd help us as we look at these verses and talk about this truth. Jesus, my prayer uh, again this evening is that you would be high and lifted up at our church, not just through this sermon, but, Lord, through every sermon. And, Lord, you are the center of the civilization. You are to be uh, the, the, the heart throb of our heartbeat. And, Lord, tonight, help us as we analyze our own lives and we look at what role you play in our heart and life. And, Lord, help us to make a commitment that we'll make much of you, both as individual Christians and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I love a good, clean action movie. A movie filled with chase scenes between good guys and bad guys. Uh, the tension is felt in a movie uh, like this, uh, that, and it has a plot with many twists and turns. It, it almost seems to have you on the edge of your seat and your heart beating within your chest. I like a movie where at the end the good guy wins and takes out the bad guy and does so in a dramatic form that has me leaping off the couch with my fist in the air, excited that the good guy overcame the evil and won. You know, that plot pretty much sums up the book of Revelation. Jesus is the best of the good guys, and the Antichrist is the worst of the bad guys. And the story ends with Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist being thrown into a bottomless pit where all of their evil demons and those who followed their lead suffer forever and ever and ever. I can't wait until Satan is called in front of King Jesus and forced to bow the knee in front of all the saints in heaven, and then he's bound up and thrown into the pit of hell. I will be standing on my seat, jumping up and down with my arms in the air. That old deceiver, that toothless lion that's tripped me up so many times and gotten me to sin and caused me grief and strife and heartache and hurt, I can't wait to see the devil, uh, that old uh, deceiver, thrown into the bottomless pit, Forever and ever and ever. On the other end of the scope, King Jesus and the host of heaven, along with the saints who have been redeemed, uh, uh, triumph and live in eternal bliss, worshiping King Jesus again forever and ever and ever. Notice that the hero in heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not only the hero of heaven, he is supposed to be the hero of the church. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, He said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And in John chapter 3, verse 14, 
he pointed back to the Old Testament as an example, and he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is the hero of heaven. Jesus is to be the hero of the church. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is the hero of Scripture. Of Scripture. The Old Testament is filled with typology that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told those followers looking for another meal out of him in John chapter 6. He said, I, speaking of Moses and the manna in the Old Testament, Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. I am your manna. I am the fulfillment of the typology of the manna. How about Isaac? In Genesis 22, Isaac went on a three-day journey uh, with um, uh, his father where he uh, would uh, have that sacrifice. Jesus was in the ground three days and three nights. Isaac uh, uh, carried the wood up the mount there where he would be laid down on the sacrifice. Jesus bore the cross on his back up Mount Calvary. Uh, uh, Isaac would look at uh, his father and say, we have the wood and the fire, but where is the sacrifice? After a moment of ponder, Abraham would declare, God will provide the sacrifice. I believe that Jesus walked up the very same mountain that uh, Abraham and Isaac trod up. I don't have proof that it was the same mountain, but uh, rather that it was the same mountain range. And why would God lead Abraham and Isaac to the same mountain range and not take him up the same mountain where Jesus would be crucified. Most likely, I believe that Jesus would have walked up the same mountain that Isaac walked up and was laid down on a tree. Uh, Genesis 22 is an Old Testament example, Old Testament typology of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the only one. How about the story in Genesis 6 of Genesis 6 and 7 of Noah and the ark. And uh, as they got in the ark and God closed the door and they were in the ark and saved from peril. Christians are in Christ and uh, uh, we are saved from peril. And one day God is going to close the door to heaven. And those who have no longer, uh, who have not believed will no longer have their chance. But it won't be water that washes away sinners. It'll be a fiery furnace that devours them, that causes them great suffering and pain. You see, the Old Testament is filled with typologies that point to Christ. Uh, the Old Testament pointed to the coming Christ. The Gospels tell the story of the Christ who came. And the remainder of the New Testament from the book of Acts on is written to Christ's church about how to lift up Christ and uh, so that the world can look to the cross of Calvary. Look at the Christ who died on that cross and be saved. It was all about Christ in the Old Testament. It was all about Christ in the Gospel. And it's still all about Christ today. Shakespeare once said, All the world is a stage, and all the men and women are merely players or actors. Now, with that in mind, uh, we are actors. We are actors for God. And we are on His team. Go back to that movie analogy I opened the sermon with this evening. Do you know that we are agents of righteousness? And we are on Team Jesus. We are to be agents for righteousness and holiness in an unrighteous and unholy world. Jesus Christ left us behind and gave us the glorious gift of the church. Hey, this right here is a gift from God. Isn't it great? I look around the room tonight and I see people from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures. I see people from various wealth classes. I see people who outside of church would never even know each other. And you know why we have, you know what we share? We share a common bond that we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And we are here to lift up Christ and make much of Him. Jesus is the founder of the church. He is the author of the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. Jesus purchased the church with His own blood. Jesus, uh, 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 rather, a good church that pleases God is one who makes much of Jesus Christ. How about the Antichrist? Did you know that there is a spirit of Antichrist present in the world today? 
This is a spirit that radically opposes the work of Christ. More about that in just a moment. Last week we looked at the first six verses of 2 John. And we saw that Christians are to keep in balance truth and love. Truth and love. Some of us are more truth-oriented and out of balance and needing to get more love in our hearts. And others of us are more uh, out of balance with love. We're love-focused. We care more about people's feelings than we do the facts. And we need to bring that back in balance. We saw that Jesus Christ is truth. And that the church is to be the cornerstone of truth in the life of the Christian. Is it possible that in 2020, that the spirit of Antichrist has invaded the common church? Yes. Yes, it is. Boy, over the four and a half years I've pastored, and I'm sure Pastor Peslak and Pastor Brown had people come into this church and say the exact same thing. Over the four and a half years I've pastored here, I've had plenty of people come in and say, Boy, White Oak Baptist Church is so refreshing because you all actually preach the Bible. How many of you, when you came here, felt the same thing the first time? Right? Wow. I mean, what a novel concept to preach the Bible at church. To actually make much about the hero of the Bible at church. Boy, the average church isn't doing that today. Is it possible that there are religious institutions that make people feel good and make people have fun, but these same churches are subverting the power and person of Christ? Is it possible that the key doctrines of the virgin birth, the blood atonement, the sinless nature of Christ, the vicarious death, and the bodily resurrection of our Savior, that these doctrines are under attack? Is it possible that in other churches, these doctrines are not attacked, but instead, these doctrines are just ignored? What should a Christian do with religious institutions such as these. Here John is sending a strong warning to the believers who attend these small house churches in the, on the outskirts of Ephesus. He is ordering them. He is ordering them to stay away from these apostate or false teachers who are attacking or demeaning the hero of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at three simple truths as we consider this topic. Christians who make much of Christ. Point number one tonight, encourage you to write it down. Notice number one, the attributes of a false teacher. The attributes of a false teacher. Look back with me in 2 John in verse number 7. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, For many deceivers, deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and a little a, a little a, antichrist. Look down at verse number 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrines of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Looking, looking at the attributes of a false teacher, notice letter A, their location. Their location. Look with me at uh, verse number 7. It says, for many deceivers are what? Entered into the world. They're entered into the world. So, where are these false teachers? Well, notice that they're in the culture. They are in the culture. Um, this is a, there, uh, rather, there's a Christian film out there entitled Time Changers. How many of you have ever seen the Christian film Time Changers? A few of you have. And if you haven't, I'll just give you a quick rundown on the film. Uh, it, it's a movie about a, this, this is this uh, sermon where I talk a lot about movies, amen? Um, uh, this is a, it's a Christian, mo- by the way, Christians don't watch movies, we watch films, amen? We don't go to the, we don't go to the beast, we go to the coast. Beach, we go to the coast, amen? And now Christians have their own lingo, but no, uh, there's a Christian movie about a, a, a theology professor who lived in the 1800s. And he uh, was writing a book. Uh, and he wanted the other professors at the college to review it. And uh, they all needed to sign off on it before it could be endorsed by his college. One professor at the college took exception with the book. 
And he said, I believe you're making a grave mistake because you are making morality more important than Christ. And he said, well, I don't understand the problem. And so as the movie goes, and again, something like this couldn't happen, but in the idea of the movie, stay with me here, this professor from the 1800s who authored the book is put in a time machine and is sent to modern day. And he walks out into the streets of a big city such as Chicago, and he is just wowed with all of the technological advances of the, of the day. But then quickly he begins to realize how immoral culture has become. Can you imagine taking George Washington or Ben Franklin uh, or one of those types and just dropping them in the middle of the day? Can you imagine how shocked they would be at how immoral our country is? And so without uh, uh, discussing the whole movie, just to get more to the point here, um, there's a point in the movie where he's hungry and he wants lunch. So he goes to a food vendor and he gets a hot dog. And he sits down on a park bench there and he puts the hot dog down next to him and he folds his hands together and he closes his eyes and he begins to pray for his food. And a little kid grabs the hot dog and begins to run away. He opens his eyes from prayer and sees his lunch on the run. It's a dog on the run, amen? And he chases the little girl down who's hiding behind a tree. She's getting ready to take a bite of his hot dog and he says, give me that back! And uh, he, he gets the hot dog back from the little girl and he says to her, he says, Lad, do you not know that it is a sin to steal? And as she is running away from him, she says this, she says, Says who? Says who? And it dawns on him that morality had been moved off of Christ. You see, when morality sits on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we don't question right and wrong. But what, our, what has happened in our culture is that morality no longer sits on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been shifted off that foundation onto the shifting sands of whatever culture says is moral or immoral. That's why now... If you are pro-traditional marriage, they call you immoral. That's why now, if you're against abortion, now you are immoral. Boy, good is being called evil and evil is being called good. You know what has happened is some antichrists have hijacked our culture and they've taken morality off of Christ and they've put it onto the shifting sands of people's opinions and they've taken uh, uh, morality and righteousness off of Christ who is objective and they've moved it to what is subjective. They've taken it off of the absolute in Christ and they've moved morality to the abstract. And now look what we have today. Because there are antichrists in the culture. How many of you, listen, I cease to be amazed. And I know I live in a bubble. My family is um, uh, good with their mouths. We don't have a cussing problem in our home. I, I, at work, I mean, other than Brother Joe slipping every now and then. I'm teasing. Brother Joe doesn't cuss that I know of. Um, I don't hear any cussing at work. All right. Uh, boy, you got to watch Miss Marcia. You get her upset. I tell you what. Um, no, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, we don't watch a lot of TV in our home, and what we watch uh, has been uh, looked over and carefully chosen, and, you know, we don't really hear Charles Ingalls taking uh, a, a cursing on Little House on the Prairie, so that's, that's a pretty safe bet. I don't hear a lot of God's name being taken in vain, but when I'm out at the store or I'm out in public, boy, I hear it. How many of you are a little less in a bubble than I am, and you hear God's name taken in vain regularly? My goodness. It's nonstop. And it isn't just the name of God. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? You know, I, how do you know that Jesus is real and that he's alive and well? Because there's power in his name. If there wasn't power in his name, they would curse something else. When the name of Jesus is taken in vain all over the world, what is that? That is the spirit of Antichrist. But it, it is not only in the culture. It has found its way into the church. Into the church. If you're filling in the blanks, it won't be on the screen, but uh, on, the, on your blanks there below their location, notice in the culture and then in the church. In the culture 
and then in the church. Look at verse number 10 of 2 John. It says, if there come any unto you, this is being written to a church, if there come any antichrist unto you, and bring not this doctrine, uh, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Uh, where have antichrists found their way? They have found their way into the church. Letter B, notice their language. We're looking at the attributes of an antichrist. We saw their location. Notice their language. Look at verse number 9. It says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Over and over again, Paul, Peter, and John, who wrote the epistles, the majority of the epistles, uh, warned the churches about false teachers coming in and teaching false doctrine as it pertained to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, you could add the name Jude there. Uh, in that one chapter in Jude, there's a lot of warning against apostasy in that book. And, and over and and over and over again, these men, these apostles, are telling the church, beware of false teaching, beware of apostasy, beware of apostates, beware of false teachers, over and over and over again. Why? Because the Lord knew that 2,000 years removed from uh, uh, the church being founded, there would be all sorts of apostasy that had found its way into the church. Notice below that, notice below their language, some deny Christ. Some deny Christ. Verse 9 tells us, look at verse 9, it says, Whosoever transgresseth. Wow, what a word. How do you go about transgressing Christ and the doctrines of Christ? What does that mean? It means, uh, this means they attack the deity of Christ and His gift of salvation. There are two doctrines that they go after very strong. In fact, how do you know if a church is just way out in left field? Uh, they'll go after these two doctrines. The doctrine of Christ, that's called Christology, and the doctrine of salvation, or soteriology. They go after those two doctrines in great depth. Boy, they change them. They manipulate them. Uh, they, they alter them greatly. They lead people astray. In fact, let me give you some examples here. Mormons. Mormons. The Mormon church's official position is they believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. They were both created by God. Their time on earth, Satan and Jesus, was nothing more than a proving ground to see if they would qualify as deity. That's transgressing the doctrine of Christ. How about Jehovah's Witnesses? Or false Jehovah Witnesses? Jehovah false witnesses. Uh, they believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah, just as the archangel Michael, uh, before the physical world existed, and they believe that Jesus is a lesser, though mighty, God. They believe that when Jesus was born on earth, he was just a mere human and not God in the human flesh. They attack the deity of Christ. They attack the oneness of the Trinity. How about Muslims? Muslims believe that Jesus was just a good prophet, but was not God on earth. Someone gave me a book sometime back entitled, uh, Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. I think, is that the title of it, Brother Rousseau? More than a carpenter. Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. And what's the idea there? Either Jesus was Lord, or He was a liar, or he was a lunatic. He couldn't have just been a good man. Either he was who he said he was, uh, or he uh, or, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. But Muslims believe that Jesus was a good prophet, but was not who he claimed to be. And then Catholics, Catholics, who are uh, do the Catholics uh, people... And by the way, I get that within the Catholic Church, there are some exceptions. But this is the official uh, uh, Catholic, what the Catholics officially believe. Now, the Catholics claim to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But they do not believe that faith in Him alone is enough to save someone from hell. Furthermore, they believe that Peter is the rock of the church, not Jesus. And they use their position of Pope to act in the place of Christ as the head of the church. They have attacked, transgressed the doctrine of Christ. They, some, deny Christ. Notice below that, some disregard Christ. Some disregard Christ. 
By this I mean they minimize talk about Christ, or they deny Him or ignore Him altogether, rather. Jesus is a controversial character, isn't He? You know, a lot of um, the modern Christian music, we don't sing a lot of the modern Christian music here. And let me tell you part of the reason why we don't. Um, There is a lot of money to be made in the Christian music world. A lot of money. Millions of dollars. And so when these people sit down to write a new Christian song, they write it as generic as possible, so as to appeal to the largest crowd possible, so as to make as much money as possible. You all understand that? A lot of Christian songs will hint at Jesus without ever actually saying His name. How many of you are familiar with the Josh Groban song, You Raise Me Up? You Raise Me Up. You know what? That could be talking about Jesus, but it could be talking about your girlfriend. That song's been written to make all kinds of money in all sorts of different areas. That's just one example. Um, Some, they may not deny Christ, but they just ignore Christ. Ignore Christ. You know, can I tell you why that is? John the Baptist said in John chapter 3 verse 30, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Here's the thing. When a pastor stands up and makes much about Jesus, he pushes some people away. Especially if he preaches accurately about Jesus. It's just not real convenient if you want to grow a large church and be a big national popular preacher to preach the message of Jesus. And so here's what a lot of folks do. I must increase, so Christ must decrease. Boy, they would preach Jesus if it didn't get in the way of their own popularity. But because it's going to get in the way of their popularity, they do one of two things. They ignore Christ, or they cherry-pick what they want to preach about Christ. Turn over to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Verse number 7 of our text tells us that these preachers are deceivers. Deceivers. And you know, the problem with a lot of these preachers, it's not what they say. It's what they won't say. You all with me tonight? They they preach a good message, but they don't preach the whole counsel of God. And someone says, well, what's wrong with, and I'm going to get into name calling in a minute, but what's wrong with that guy? Or what's wrong with this guy? Or man, this person really makes me feel good. Oh, we've got to be careful about feelings. We have to be careful about feelings. Deceivers. You know what deceivers are? Deceivers are suave. Deceivers are very good with their tongue. Um, A lot of these, watch this, scare quotes, preachers are really nothing more than just really, really good motivational speakers. That's what they are. Look at Romans 16, verse 17. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. What doctrines are we talking about here? Look at verse 18. For they that are such uh, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Oh, they bring a good word. Oh, man, they bring... Eloquent speeches. Oh, they are polished. They are suave. They are sharp. Man, they dress the part. They look the part. Their hair flaps in the wind. They, they, they have hair to flap in the wind. Amen? Yeah, they, they look great. Am I jealous? Maybe a little bit. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but listen, just because they can speak good, just because they're enjoyable to listen to, does not mean that they deserve our attention. Mark them. 
Mark them. Who are some people who are big name preachers in the culture at large today that you and I have no business giving one moment of our time to? How about Joel Olstein? Everyone was waiting for me to say that name. All right? And I'm going to get into several other names here. But Joel Olstein. Now, Joel Olstein won't preach against sin. He won't. He won't. Why? Because it makes him unpopular. He told a, I think it was Larry King or somebody, someone on a cable news network, he said, about this homosexuality thing, I just stay in my lane. I just stay in my lane. Hey, you know what my lane is as a preacher? That right there. Amen? The whole thing. Hey, guess what, Joel Osteen? Romans 1 is still in the Bible. Preach it. Whether it makes you popular or not. Watch this now. Watch this. Without the realization of sin, there is no need for Christ. So why would you ever even preach about Him? How about Joseph Prince? Joseph Prince. He's a big deal preacher in Singapore. He is one of the largest churches in the world. I mean, it is massive. He is uh, on TV. He is very popular and well-known. And by the way, I'm not giving you these names, so you'll go home and look them up and watch them, okay? I think by the time I get done with the message, you'll understand we don't need to be doing that. But there may be somebody here tonight that has allowed one of these preachers to get their ear. There may be someone watching online tonight. I guess when I preach against TV preachers, I'm preaching against myself, aren't I? Someone at home is laughing right now. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, YouTube preachers that get a couple hundred views. I'm talking about TV preachers with, and again, it, it, just because someone's on TV doesn't make them bad. It, it's, it, it's what got them there. It's how they got there. Joseph Prince, he preaches a hyper-grace Christianity. He equates the Old Testament law uh, to uh, legalism. And he says that there's no need for Old Testament law, that it's to be done away with and put to the side. And his emphasis is swung so far over to New Testament grace that he believes that God's grace is so hyper that any sin we commit is immediately forgiven and it is almost like it's not even sin. Well, that's awful. That's awful. And so why would we live a lifestyle that's holy? Holiness is ignored in the teaching and preaching of, 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 this, of, of Mr. Prince. My friend, we are not to abuse the grace of Jesus. How about Joyce Myers? And I know, I'll be careful here, because I, I, listen, I know there are people that go to this church. Joyce Myers has an influence in their life. And you may be mature enough in Christ to think that's ridiculous, but understand that at this church there are people at all different levels of Christianity. I don't mean to be ugly or unkind or nasty when I say this, and I'm definitely not being bigoted or sexist in any way. Paul is very clear to the church of Corinth that women are not to be preachers, pastors. That is not the role of the woman at the church. By the way, I'll add this. The Bible says women are to be silent at church. I know that's not popular. That doesn't mean that you can't fellowship and say hello. That doesn't mean that you can't talk at church, but what it does mean is that you're to let the men of the church handle the business of the church. You're to let the men at the church be the preachers at church. You're to let the men of the church lead the church. Joyce Myers has no right standing up in front of a group, mixed group of men and women teaching and preaching and being a biblical leader. And I know that's not a popular thing to say, but it is a, an accurate and biblical thing to say. But let's set aside the fact that Joyce Myers is a woman, and let's just look at her message. My understanding of uh, Joyce Myers is that she preaches more or less, more or less, a prosperity gospel. It's this idea that if you have enough faith, then you can avoid a whole lot of hardships in your life. A name-it-and-claim-it type of ministry. And I would just like to look at people that preach like Joyce Myers and ask this question, did Jesus not have enough faith? He was homeless. 
He didn't live in a multi-million dollar home. Have his own private jet. Jesus was homeless. I guess the faith of Jesus wasn't enough if we're going to run with that kind of doctrine. Hey, listen, that diminishes the Savior. That type of preaching diminishes the Savior. Here's another one, Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick. How many of you know who Stephen Furtick is? I've seen just enough. He's a big deal on social media and YouTube. I've seen just enough of Stephen Furtick's preaching to tell you that he preaches the Bible way out of context. Oh, he's entertaining. He's suave. He's enjoyable. He's got the cool kid on the block thing down. Preaches in a pair of pants and white sneakers and a gold chain around his neck and a t-shirt on and holds that mic up to his mouth like a rapper. And boy, he, he, he works the crowd up into a frenzy and he'll take a, a phrase out of the Bible and preach it totally out of context. And he draws people in. He's got a big following and he's a big deal. This week I listened to about a three minute clip of him preaching and this is what he said. He said that in order for Christ to save mankind, he had to break his own moral law. He said that Jesus became a sinful man. He's an antichrist. You say, but I heard something he said, it really helped me. Boy, it moved me along, it helped get me through a difficult day. And listen, if he preached some form of truth that got you along, I'm thankful that you were, you, you were able to get along. But we don't need to give our heart and mind to preachers who attack the deity of Christ. How about Andy Stanley? How many know who Charles Stanley is? Most of you know who Charles Stanley is. Charles Stanley's son is Andy Stanley. Pastors a huge, huge mega church with all sorts of campus churches all over the place. He was interviewed a couple of years ago, right before an Easter Sunday for a big publication. And he told the interviewer, he was asked about the vert, do you actually believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? And his answer back was, whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin is insignificant. The virgin birth of Jesus matters. Amen? Boy, these are folks who are attacking, denying, or at the least diminishing our hero. You go after my hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, you go on my blacklist. Boy, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. We see the attributes of a false teacher. Quickly, let's move on. Notice number two, the attention of the Christian. The attention of the Christian. Look at verse number eight of Second John, Second uh, uh, John chapter one, the one and only chapter. Look at verse number eight. It says, "Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but we receive a full reward." Notice letter A: personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Verse eight says, "Look to yourselves." Look to yourselves. We live in a world where we depend on everyone else to tell us how to live, where to go, what to do, and even what to believe. Just look at the coronavirus and what it has done to Americans. Americans are begging the government to tell them what to do and how to live their life. And I go back to Herbert Hoover, who stood up and gave an an incredible speech about rugged individualism and personal responsibility. And Christian, listen now, I don't want to talk politics, I want to talk the Christian faith. It is on you to get in the Bible and study the doctrine of Christ and know what it says and know what you believe, not what Pastor Lejeune believes, what the Bible says. You are to know it inside and out. So that if Pastor Lejeune uh, were to ever veer or go off course or if, if some other pastor were to ever take over this pulpit and go off course, you would know what the truth is about the doctrines of Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, while most Christians are not very good at sharing their faith, and I don't mean to give a stinging rebuke to anyone, I'm just going to share with you what I believe is the truth. Why most Christians are not able to tell someone how to go to heaven. Because their doctrine of Christ knowledge is very weak. You see, if you know Jesus inside and out, you have no problem telling someone else how to get to Him. Most of us can't lead someone to Christ because we don't really know much about Christ. 
And Christian, I would say to you, look to yourselves. How well have you studied the doctrine of Christ? How well do you know Him? You see, we're to know everything about Him, but we're also to have a personal relationship with Him. You know, um, if um, after 13 and a half years of marriage, if someone were to come into my office that I didn't know and were to sit down and say, I know some things about your wife that you just don't know. And they were to begin to just tell me all of these awful things about my wife. I'd be able to look at him and say, get out of my office. I have lived with her for 13 and a half years. I have known her for 15 and a half years. You don't tell me something about my wife. I know my wife inside and out. I know her better than any human being walking this planet. Get out of my office. It ought to be that if someone were to walk up to you and tell you something about Jesus Christ that was false, immediately you'd be able to identify it because he's your very best friend. Christian, do you have that personal relationship with Christ? Are you taking personal responsibility to know him? Let her be notice. Protected reward. Protected reward. Look down at verse number 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. We receive a full reward. Take your Bibles over to Revelation chapter number 22. Boy, Christian, I sure would not want to get led astray by someone who was eloquent in speech, looked dapper, looked the part. You know, the church of Corinth had this problem. They, they were embarrassed of Paul. One had nothing to do with him because he had stripes on his back. And Paul wasn't the most attractive guy walking around. You know, he probably struggled with his sight. And my gathering and studying the Apostle Paul is that he's a pretty boring preacher. I may get to heaven and Paul may say, I don't appreciate that. But that's my understanding of studying the life of Paul. And what had happened is that some people, some apostates had come into the church at Corinth wearing fancy suits, wearing a Rolex watch, if you will, preaching fancy sermons, and the church of Corinth had become enamored with these preachers and had become embarrassed of Paul. The Bible says here we're to keep to ourselves the doctrine of Christ. Otherwise, we risk losing our reward in heaven. Look at Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The very, very first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, I'm not going to seek out my grandmother, my parents going before me, or siblings going before me. I won't go looking for them. If Angela and my kids go on before me, they won't be the first ones I seek out. You say, don't you love your family? Oh, I love my family. It won't be any of you in this room. The very, very first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is run to my Savior, and I'm going to behold His face, and I'm going to worship Him, and I'm going to love on Him, and I'm going to thank Him for saving my soul. Boy, I'm not going to let anybody get between me and my Jesus. And I don't ever want some, some, some apostate, some false teacher to get between me and what I know is true about Jesus and what He did for me. Personal responsibility. Protected reward. Oh, don't let anyone come along and swindle you out of a full reward in heaven. Number three, notice lastly, the admonition of the Christian. Now, let me give you some historical context here. Most likely, there were apostate fancy preachers, false teachers, coming through town and looking for a place to stay. And some of the gullible church members of the church of Ephesus had given some of these false teachers a room in their house to sleep in, had given them food at their table, and had given them some money and sent them down the road. And John said, no more, no more. Letter A, notice, avoid financial support. Avoid financial support. Look at verse number 10. 
If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine. What doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Receive him not into your house. Um, I got in my car this afternoon and uh, turned turn on my car, and, and somehow the tune dial had gotten bumped over one, and so it wasn't the channel I would normally listen to. It ended up being uh, some other channel, and it had a black gospel preacher. And he was preaching away, and boy, it was, it was really good. And he was preaching about money, and uh, he was doctrinally accurate. He was talking about people who swindle people out of money. And uh, get up and make a big deal out of money. And I thought, boy, this fits right into my message tonight. And he said, listen, a pastor is to care for his people. Not be about taking the Bible and twisting it to make himself rich. You know, I watch these, many of these preachers I just listed. I, I've watched them. By the way, there's a preacher who's a health and wealth uh, prosperity gospel preacher. He has the funniest name. You know, you ever meet a dentist who's named Toothman? Right? Okay? Uh, Angela had an orthodontist when she had braces, and his, his last name really was Toothman. That's perfect, isn't it? Um, uh, how about this uh, preacher that was famous on TV? His name was Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar. What a name for a preacher. Creflo, his last name was Dollar. I always want to know if he went and got his last name changed. I, I didn't know about that. Creflo Dollar. You know, uh, these uh, p- preachers have a reputation for always having their hand out and swindling people for money. Back in, um, let's see, back in the 80s, it, there was a preacher who got up and said that he'd seen a 10,000-foot Jesus in a dream, and if he didn't raise a certain amount of money, that God was going to kill him. And man, the money just came pouring in the mail. They found out later, after he had gotten involved in some scandal, that he took that money and installed gold faucets in his sinks in his house. He's just living in some massive house. Hey, listen, someone who isn't preaching the doctrine of Christ, one telltale sign is they're talking a whole lot about how to get you to send them their money, your money. Don't you ever put your money in an envelope and mail it to some TV preacher, unless you're watching on YouTube right now. But it won't, be coming, won't come to me back in uh, the preaching of the gospel. Listen, some big-name preacher who has some big ministry, uh, listen, you be careful about that. You join a local church, and you give to that local church. And in all seriousness, I will say this. If you're watching me, and you don't live near this church, and this isn't your church, you don't put one dollar bill in the mail and mail it to this ministry. You go find a local church around where you live, and you financially support that work. Not this one. That one. You find one that preaches the Bible, and you give there. God will take care of the church through the people that attend here. Financial support. But I'm just saying, no, don't say that. No, he's not. Letter B, avoid fellowship. Avoid fellowship. Look at verse 10. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. You know what happens when you have guests in your house? and you share a meal with them, you end up talking to them, and you end up giving them influence in your life. Uh, you, you get to know them real well, and you end up appreciating them and enjoying their fellowship. And they leave, and you feel like they're your friend. You know what you've done when you've allowed someone to stay in your house for a night or two? You've given them great influence in your life. You be careful about that. Letter C, notice, avoid farewells. Avoid farewells. Look, at, look back at verse 10 and 11. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Wow, John, that's strong. John says here that if you even tell a false teacher, God bless you, God be with you on your journey, John says if you do that, you are complicit in their false teaching. Last night, I was uh, sitting outside of a Seatown supermarket in New Haven. The Ordonez family have arrived. They got here last night, 
at, uh, from Costa Rica, and I went to their port and picked them up and got them settled in. And on the way in, they said, hey, we have to be quarantined for two weeks coming from out of the country, and we need some groceries. And so the nearest grocery store happened to be a Seatown supermarket in downtown New Haven. So there I am, sitting outside there, and a drunk guy. He's up and down the streets. He's drinking a beer. He's yelling at me. He's yelling at people. He's being belligerent. He's just acting like a drunken, uh, uh, I won't use the four-letter word I was going to use because it's, not biblical. He's acting like a drunken, drunken, nice, not, not nice guy. And uh, he was being ugly. Amen from the sermon this morning. And uh, he's yelling obscenities at me. He's yelling obscenities at passing cars. He almost got hit by a couple cars. He got about two-thirds of the way through his beer, and he just threw it across the street. And then someone came out of the store, and I watched them give him money. Someone else came out of the store, and they gave him money. And I looked at Brother John's wife and kids and I said, that's how you enable a drunk. You know what happens when you give money or a roof over the head or encouragement to someone who's a false teacher? You are enabling their false doctrine. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. Boy, at White Oak Baptist Church, we want Christ to be high and lifted up. It may not always be popular. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. We want to make a big deal out of Jesus. And as we make a big deal out of Jesus, I believe God will draw men unto him. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, thank you for the book of Second John and these solid reminders. Balancing truth and love. Christians making much of Christ. Lord, I pray that as I've preached these two sermons, that I've preached them in a way that's pleased you. I've preached them in context. Help us tonight as a church to make a corporate commitment that you will always be our hero here. Not a man. Not some personality. Jesus, that you'll be our hero. Lord, help that not just be talk, but Lord, help it to be evident in the way we live. Lord, we ask you tonight that you work in our hearts. That you show us where the culture has beguiled us, has fooled us, has led us astray. Lord, help us all tonight to commit to have a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.